You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is John Stapleton, and I'm very excited to be back in the book of Galatians with you. And so if you have a Bible, please turn to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to be picking up it, uh, picking it up in verse 11. And um, I hope you're liking this raw format. I, uh, I've i tried to be less calculated, more studied, and just more prayed up before I get on and uh, do an episode um, of the podcast. Uh, but I just want to open up the Word of God and uh, share candidly what is uh, on my mind about what I'm reading at this current moment. And, uh, and so let me do a bit of review. Uh, last week, I started the book of Galatians um, because Galatians is a wonderful book. Uh, basically, Paul is under attack uh, by a group of people called the Judaizers, and they're, they're questioning his authority as an apostle. They're questioning uh, his right to tell people and instruct people about the Christian faith. And there are these people that were Paul's enemies called the Judaizers who were telling people that unless they were circumcised, they could not be saved. And you can pick the story up in Acts chapter 15. And so Paul fires back and he had this battle erupt in the in Galatia. He planted a series of churches and one of them is in Galatia. And in Galatia, he has to write to defend the gospel. And in order to defend the gospel, he in turn also has to defend his discipleship. And so in chapter one, uh, in the opening verses, he says, look, if anyone, including ourselves, if anybody preaches to you a different gospel, don't listen to them, they're cursed. And then he's going to back up his claim as an apostle by basically just giving us his autobiography. Uh, This is the most extensive autobiography that we have of Paul in the New Testament, and Paul does this to show his credentials. So I'm going to read through, uh, I'm going to pick up, pick it up at verse 11. I'm reading from the King James version of the Bible, and uh, we're going to at least finish chapter one. We might start uh, in in chapter two, because really the idea goes uh, through the beginning of chapter two, and, uh, and we'll just see how far we get. Here's what Paul says in verse 11. But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. He's saying, I certify to you. I want to make this known. I want to, I want to get no, I, I don't want there to be any confusion about what I'm saying, what I'm about. Let me clear some things up to you so that uh, there's no confusion about what I'm saying. And then he says, the gospel that I, um, that that uh, the the gospel that I received, um, the gospel that was preached was not of me or not after man. What he's saying is, uh, I didn't make this up. Number one, and I didn't get this from anybody. Number two. This gospel came straight from Jesus. Look at verse 12. For neither, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus actually revealed this to me. Now, I want to pause and say this. Uh, a lot of cults have had a field day with um, with this claim of Paul, uh, because you know there are people like Joseph Smith and William Crowdy and 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 different religious leaders that have come along and and have claimed that God spoke to them because they had a dream. And there's and they point back to Paul and they say, "Well, you know, 
I had a dream. I had a revelation just like Paul. So there it is. You, you can't really fault me for my revelation. You know, we're just like Paul. Well, no, you're not. Um, Paul's revelation lines up with the teaching of the other apostles. We're going to see that a, a bit later in our, uh, in our passage. Um, but it lines up with what Peter and James and John had been uh, saying, and, 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 and it lined up with what they knew of the Lord. These are the people that walked with Jesus when he was on the earth. And so this is different than your average cult leader because every time a cult leader has a dream or a so-called revelation, it always differs from what Jesus actually taught. And a lot of cults get away with their teachings because what they do is they teach people line by line, precept by precept. They'll point to that passage in Isaiah, that verse in Isaiah that says that. Um, however, that's not what that's about. And honestly, when you do that, you do something called eisegesis, where you are taking the passage and you're running away with a verse. And now that verse frames your whole entire theology. And that is wrong. It's like clipping a newspaper article and then attaching it to a completely different context that is it's not a part of. And so that's what a lot of religious people, uh, a lot of cults do with the Bible and a lot of religious people. Um, but that's that's what they do. Religious people tend to cherry pick. Um, a popular example is Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for uh, good and not for evil, plans to give you a success and a future um, and, and not to do you harm, right? Um, and and they, they, they failed to know that when God was speaking that his people were in exile and they were actually suffering and, and, and God was, was, was talking about their present, their, their, their present time. So Paul is in agreement with the apostolic consensus. That's what I'm saying. And unlike, and so he's not like cult leaders that have their own vision. This is much like when Jesus appears to um, a Muslim in a dream and, and they meet other people with the same dream. I mean, that's, that's not like a hallucination or anything. That's, that's a, like God is revealing himself to them and it's the same revelation to multiple different people. And there's an agreement. There's an agreement. So it's clear that the Holy Spirit is, is doing something. And then, um, then he says this, verse 13, for ye have heard of my conversation, uh, my conduct, my way of life in time past in the Jews religion. He was, he practiced Judaism how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I tried to destroy the church of God. Uh, you could see, you could read in Acts chapter 9. Remember we, we talked about last week. He approved at the stoning of Stephen, the killing of Stephen. And after that, that really jumped, that really uh, kicked over a, a hornet's nest. He wanted to go. He, he went on the hunt. He got letters from the, um, the, the Jewish leaders to go arrest, go hunt down uh, Christians that went north in Damascus. And so he's on this hunt. And then Jesus reveals himself to him on the road. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, what's really interesting is that Jesus in that statement identifies with the suffering of, of his people. He's not saying, why are you persecuting them? He's saying, why are you persecuting me? And then he commissions Saul to be his apostle to the Gentiles. 
And so when Paul writes this letter to Galatians, he's, he's, he's fired up because they're questioning his calling. They're questioning his commission. They're questioning that, that Jesus actually commissioned him as an apostle. And more importantly, they're questioning the gospel. And so he wants them to know, hey, listen, I didn't make this up. I didn't make up this gospel. It wasn't my idea. I didn't go confer with other people um, to, to get the gospel. It wasn't revealed to me by other people. It was, it was a direct revelation from the Lord. And that direct revelation from the Lord agrees with other eyewitness testimony. That's his big idea here. But he started out not as someone who loved the Lord. He started off as a religious Pharisee who thought that he was doing the Lord's work by rounding up Christians and persecuting them. He goes on to say this in verse 14. And profited in the Jews' religion. He was, a, he was accelerating, advancing um, in his religion. And then he says, Above many of my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. He says, I outdid my contemporaries. I outdid my friends. Uh, I outdid my, my, um, my other fellow Pharisee uh, colleagues. I was more zealous than all of them. Verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, the ESV says to me, um, that I might preach him among the heathen, I immediately, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. I love that Paul points out that it pleased God to save Saul of Tarsus. A lot of us Christians we need to be more wise. A lot of us tolerate people that we shouldn't be tolerating, but at the same time, a lot of us also write off people that still have hope. And the moral of the story is God can save anybody. Paul gives his testimony in 1 Timothy 1 similar to this. He was a violent opponent. He tried to crush the church, tried to destroy the church. And, and then he says, I was saved. I was the worst of sinners. And, and this happened so that God's grace could be put on full display. If God can save me, the worst of sinners, God can save anybody. So there, as long as there is breath in your body, there is hope for you. There is the opportunity for salvation, for God's salvation, for you to come to Jesus. And it came for Saul of Tarsus. And it's so radically, I, I keep calling him Saul of Tarsus, and you're reading your Bible and you're like, but does it, this is Paul, right? Well, again, this change in his life so radically rocked him that his name changed. Not legally, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Well, really, Saul was his Jewish name and Paul was his Roman name. I believe he always had two, uh, the commentators say. It's not like he changed his name to Paul. Uh, Paul was his Roman name and Saul was his Jewish name. But when Jesus commissioned him to be a disciple to the apostles, to be an apostle to the, sorry, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, it would make sense that he would adopt his Roman name and not his and not be known so much by his Jewish name, because what he's doing is he's identifying with the people in his mission. And he's saying, I used to think that I was better than you. I used to look down on you because I was a Pharisee, but now I'm, I'm identifying with you. Uh, my name is Paul. And Paul means small. 
it's also a very humble name. It's it, and and it's really ironic too because history would teach that uh, um, uh, legend would hold. Tradition teaches that um, Paul was a short man with a crooked nose and big ears, and um, and and he probably had eye problems and and back problems because he was beaten a lot. Very humble man, um, and this mission definitely humbled him. But you know, in spite of all of that. What God really did in him was he 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 made Paul meek, it, not weak, meek. Now Paul calls himself weak in Second Corinthians. He says, "When I am weak, I am strong." But we notice that Paul's very strong for the Lord when he needs to be. And so he says, "It pleased God to save him." It. A lot of us have this image of God where he doesn't like us. He's like the principal. He's like that grumpy adult that we try to avoid when we were kids. He doesn't actually like us. He just tolerates us. He just puts up with us. But I want you to think about this. God did not have to make us. God did not have to create this world. God did not have to send his son to save this world. Like God knows everything in advance before it happens. And he decided to let all of history play out knowing what would happen, but going through it anyway because he wants relationship with us. Not that he needs relationship. He doesn't need us. God is self-sufficient, but he wants relationship with us. And so he's willing to go through the mess of history so that he can have both a heavenly and an earthly family. And this involves saving people like Saul. And let me just say this. Apart from the grace of God, we all are Saul. You're like, I've never persecuted anybody. I've never killed anybody. Well, if you have hatred in your heart, that is murder of the heart. That is murder that has have not has not been actualized with the hands. But there's hope for Paul. And if there's hope for Paul, there's hope for me. There's hope for you. There's hope for anybody that would accept the grace of God. And then he says, I immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. I didn't, I didn't go get indoctrinated. I didn't go get taught this. And then he says, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them, which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Same idea. I didn't confer with anybody. I, I had to sit with this. I'm a scholar. I'm a Pharisee. I, I know the Old Testament. I need I need to go wrestle with this. And then 19. But other of the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother. I only saw James. Now the things, verse 20, now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. I'm not exaggerating about this stuff. And I believe he has to say this. Paul say this. Uh, Paul says this every now and then. I lie not. I am not lying. Right. I'm telling the truth in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes Paul gives uh, an outrageous statement that's just really hard for us to believe. So I'll give you an example. In Romans chapter nine, Paul says, "If it were possible, I would trade my salvation for for my kinsmen according to the flesh." And none of us would do that. I mean, very few of us would do that, I believe. I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't do that. I wouldn't trade my eternal state for somebody else. I just wouldn't, especially in a current unbeliever. I just, I would not do that. Uh, I don't love people that much. Um, I, I love them to tell them the gospel, but I'm not, 
I don't love them enough to um, to 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 trade my eternal state with them. Okay. But Paul says he's willing to, and then he follows that that line up uh, that 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 um, that statement up with I'm I lie not. I tell the truth. My my conscience bears me uh, witness in the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm not lying to you, and so Paul has to say that here because most of us what we do is we when we're checking out a new belief or a new religion uh, a new movement we try to find the prominent people in that movement and learn from the best we want to get uh, we want to download this information we immediately become pupils we immediately become disciples and Paul says no 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 I got a, a direct revelation from the Lord and I'm gonna sit with this. I got a direct re- revelation from the Lord. Now I have to check with the written revelation, right? Now I have to check with what I grew up knowing, All right? And once I check with this, well, now I know how he connects to my faith. It's not that, and Paul has to do this because he's not abandoning his faith. He's not leaving the scriptures. He's not... Um, he, he, he's not. He's on a journey, and he has part of the, the truth, and now he wants to know how what he knows has been fulfilled in Christ. It's a deeper, fuller, more progressive revelation that is uh, actualized, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then he says, verse 21, Afterwards I came into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, once he tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Why does God save terrorists? Why does God save the worst enemies to the Christian cause? Why does he do that? God's proving a point. And his point is that nobody can outrun the grace of God. Nobody is stronger than the grace of God. If God can save Paul, God can save anybody. And what's fascinating about Paul is he actually lives very faithful. He, he, he gives us 12 books of the scripture. He plants churches. He gives us language for uh, understanding the gospel and what Jesus accomplished on the earth. He connects us. He tells us how to read our Old Testament. Paul is an invaluable asset to the Christian faith and the Christian tradition. And what's so cool is he didn't start off like that, but but he finished faithful. 